0: Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 138 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Robert DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots, I want to remind you about all of the great and new Mistress Carrie gear that you can get in the shop at mistresscarrie.com, especially if you're planning on going to a sporting event or a concert in the near future. They're pretty strict with what kind of bags you can bring inside. That's why I made the clear plastic Mistress Carrie waist or crossbody bag. They meet the baggage restrictions and you can take all of those essential things into the shows that you need to. There's also beanies and hoodies, t-shirts and tank tops, plus coffee mugs, pint glasses, and even a 7-in-1 bartender tool to make sure that your bartending game is on point. Just log on to MistressCarry.com and hit the shop. Well, this week marks the second member of the DeLeo family that joins me on the Mistress Carey podcast. Dean DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots joined me on episode 58 and also joined me for a bonus episode And Robert DeLeo, obviously Dean's brother and the bass player from STP, is joining me this week to talk about his debut solo album. The album is called Lessons Learned, and it's an acoustic Americana kind of vibe. Something kind of different, but when you listen to it, you will definitely hear that Robert DeLeo sound. So I wanted to talk to Robert about putting this album together. I also wanted to talk to him about his origins playing the bass his musical upbringing with his brother Dean. And yes, I had to bring up the Halloween memory that Dean told me to ask him about. Plus, we talked about touring and guitar collecting and songwriting and fellow bass players like Doug Pinnock and Getty Lee. And we even had to talk a little sports. I was so excited when I found out he was coming on the show and you definitely have got to check out the new album, Lessons Learned. So allow me to introduce you to Robert DeLeo.
2: have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God.
0: Oh, yeah. Hello, Mr. DeLeo. Hello. How are you?
2: I'm, I'm well. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I talked to your brother in October, and we were reminiscing about the last time I saw you guys. Which was when you did the um, event for WAF in Boston at Fenway Park with Chester. Yes. We were talking about the old ballpark and what huge sports fans you guys are.
2: Absolutely, I played baseball for a few years. I pitched for a few years when I was younger.
0: And it just never materialized into that professional baseball career you dreamed of.
2: Got one of these in my hands and it was all over. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he was joking that that they had to actually drag you guys out of the luxury box at Fenway. Because they're like, uh, you guys know you have a gig, right?
2: Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazing. And I, I actually went back. I made friends with someone who had that box. And I actually went back and, and saw a game there. So it was It was pretty special.
0: Friends with luxury boxers are like friends with boats. They're good friends to have.
2: Well, the thing is, you want to visit one. You don't want to own one.
0: That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you got a friend with a boat. It's perfect. You just don't want to pay for it. Yes. So, yeah, so that we were joking about about, um, just growing up huge sports fans and how it always seems that musicians want to be athletes. Athletes kind of want to be actors or musicians. And it seems to be this hilarious Thing where none of you guys are happy where you are. You always wish you found success doing something else.
2: Yeah, but I think we have an admiration for each other. That's the thing. Yeah. I always I always enjoy meeting uh, athletes, sports, sports people, and I have some actor friends too. And you know, most of my actor friends play guitar.
0: Yeah. Downtime, yeah. something to do, something to keep your hands busy.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Especially here in Boston. Um, the athletes are like bigger than rock stars to a certain extent. Like absolutely, this city is a little psychotic when it comes to that stuff.
2: But there's an energy there that, you know, you, you can't match that energy.
0: Yeah. And we also Sports. love rock music, which is why we love you.
2: Well, it's always, you know, it's always one of those things when we go back east, the rock is just a little more. There's a little more commitment to it, uh, you know, with everyone that, that listens to it and comes out to shows. I think some of our best shows have been in Boston, in that area.
0: We're very intense.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm from New Jersey, so I know the, the Northeast spirit that comes about.
0: Yeah. And the arguing over sports, which we have to just put those differences aside to move forward with a common interest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of, of like rock music, when I heard about lessons learned in this project, it was prefaced to me by saying, well, it's very different for him. And I was like, okay, well, different's cool. Let's let's check it out. And as soon as I started listening to it, I was like, it's not that different. You can tell that's Robert DeLeo in there. Like oh. the the DNA of it is is there.
2: Well, uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I I think what it is, is every song for me starts out on acoustic guitar and with STP, most of them went electrically. That's the path they took. Um, But on this, on this one, I kind of wanted to keep it in that vulnerable place and acoustic guitar, uh, having things acoustic does that. It keeps it in that, in that, in that format.
0: I talked to a lot of guitar players and first of all, I'll preface it by saying I can't write music, I, I can't play music, and I can't write songs, so I'm so envious of the craft, and I want to know how it works. Um, I've talked to some guitar players, like a Zach Wild, for example, that says that he locks himself in a room and starts a song and finishes a song in a session. Then I talked to a guy like Jerry Cantrell who says that like he'll get an idea for a riff or something and like sing it into his phone so he doesn't forget it. And he's constantly kind of squirreling these ideas away for a project, whether it be a solo thing or Alice in Chains. So how does it work for you?
2: You know, the reason I think I was um, attracted to music is because I didn't like rules and there's really no rules to writing songs. And I'll give you an example. This this instrument here is an instrument that a friend of mine gave me, and it's a cigar box.
0: I was going to say, it looks like a cigar box.
2: Yeah. But as soon as he gave me this, I wrote, uh, you know... It's it, uh, two of the songs... Uh... Put Aside Your Sorrows and Is This Goodbye on the record just came out from just picking that up. A lot of times, just an instrument that I'll pick up will will, will definitely dictate uh, a song and, and inspire a song. Um, but there's many ways. I've done it into my phone and cataloged and, you know, for a rainy day, the, those kind of things. And... Um, you know, it, it it really, there's no rules to it. That's what's great about it. That's the beauty of music and writing music.
0: Is that considered a bass because it has four strings or is that considered a guitar? I mean, what?
2: No, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a mandolin or a, a, a ukulele kind of tuning. So it's, it's, that's what it is. It's a, it's a, just a, he calls it a sig fiddle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a cigar fiddle.
0: You're, you're a collector, right? I, I know that a, a lot of musicians are also um, collectors and is it something where you, you kind of have something on your list of something you want to have and you're willing to get rid of something in order to bring something in? Or are you a person that's like, once it's mine, it's mine for life?
2: Well, I, I, uh, I, I, I actually, over the past couple of years, I've kind of downsized because I had so much stuff. I actually had a home studio and probably had a, uh, an accumulation that would kind of uh, rival a, a, a guitar shop and <laughs> 40 microphones and, and 30 bases and 20 guitars and 50 amps. And, you know, I just, I just needed to simplify. So I, I, I still have 20 guitars, but (laughs) but I just, I just, you know, it's so hard to try to get rid of these things because after a while they do become the sentimental thing to you. And how do you put a price on picking up an instrument and it, it writes a song for you? You know what I mean? It's, It's, it's priceless.
0: I don't know how you would get rid of it after that because that memory is part of it.
2: That's, that's the thing. The memory of, of that it's it's a sentimental thing at that point not just musical
0: i talked to rick nielsen from cheap trick and he he, uh, he did the interview in the room where he keeps all his stuff
2: oh my god and he
0: just was running around picking up guitars and showing me stuff and i yeah. was his brain is a whole other thing
2: well he has such a love for for instruments and um you know i i realized that when i was 12 years old and i got uh heaven tonight and looked on the back of the album cover and just, I looked at all those guitars and just went, wow. And it was a, it was an infatuation. It was a fascination from, from an early age for me.
0: I have to ask you this question because you're known as a bass player. I mean, obviously you play guitar as well, but, um, I read a quote from Getty Lee who said that no one intends and goes out to be a bass player, that you play guitar and then you join a band and they kind of vote you in because someone has to do it. Is that what happened to you?
2: That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs>
0: that's,
2: exactly, that's exactly what happened to me. And it was, it was the kind of thing, I never picked up a bass. And speaking of Getty, who's an amazing human being, I have, to, I have to say that, and one of my favorite bass players, that guy pretty much set the path for the rest of my life. Um, I was a huge fan of Rush growing up, and um, so what happened, Dean had a band, and uh, they broke up, they were starting something new, they needed a bass player. I had never really played bass before, and the singer, who was the bass player in his old band, stepped out to the front to sing, it, therefore they needed a bass player, I put, I got a bass in my hands and they said, we have to learn 30 songs. And some of those songs were rush songs. Oh. And, and that is not, it was rush. Yes. Genesis. Um, stuff that, you know, so I, I had to learn these songs in about two weeks. No big But when deal. I picked up a bass, when I picked it up, it felt so natural to me. It really felt natural to me. And I was Uh, I actually, a friend of mine from New Jersey actually just uh, digitized those recordings. Um, So I have those. I actually sent Tom Sawyer to Getty. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I had to send it to him. What was his
0: response?
2: He said, wow, that sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was a huge, huge thing for me.
0: I ask bass players every time they come on the show that, and I've only found one bass player that said he always wanted to play the bass from the beginning, never picked up a guitar. Doug mm. Pinnock, the only one.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, Doug's a great bass player, too.
0: Yeah. So I, bass otherwise, everybody's like, yeah, I wanted to play guitar, man, but they voted me in and now I'm the bass player.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I'm 6'2", and I've got long arms and big hands, and the bass just felt a little more comfortable to me. It, it really did.
0: Um, When I talked to Dean, we talked a lot about my theory on the eras of music in a person's life. And my theory is that there's the music era of your childhood and the soundtrack of your childhood that you get gifted by your cool yeah. uncle, your parents, the older brothers yeah. and sisters. And then there's a line where you hear a song, an album, an artist you see a band live and you step over that line and go, okay, now I know what I like and that's what I like. So what was it for you? Because you guys were growing up in the same house with the same kind of exposure.
2: Well, I, I'm the youngest. So I had the great fortune of having older brothers and sisters that were playing you know, anything from Cat Stevens to Jimi Hendrix and everything in between. And to me, the, the 60s and 70s were such a, a rich part of, of songwriting. And, you know, I was always attracted to songwriting. That was the thing is the song and the melody. And, and uh, my first concert was the Carpenters. Um, That's, you know, in 1971. And she never gets credit
0: for the drummer she was. Everybody always Uh, talks about her voice and her songwriting, but.
2: I know. And Richard as an arranger, um, they were, they were, they were amazing. They were brilliant. Um, She's a great drummer. Go on YouTube and watch her play. She's like 18 years old playing that stuff. Uh, But yeah, that was my first show. And everything in between I listened to and I not only listened to it, I, I absorbed it. I absorbed it greatly during that time.
0: You can kind of hear that influence that you're talking about on this record.
2: Yeah, it's I definitely carry that with me uh, and I'll carry that till the end. Those those songs are, like you said, part of my DNA now.
0: How does it work when you're in a band as famous as STP and obviously you're in a band with your brother, right? So there's that rock and roll brother dynamic that we've seen go well and not well famously. And then you decide to, to do something like this project lesson learned lessons learned and you bring in other artists. Are you obligated to call your brother? Do you get mad at each other when you're not included? Like, how does that go? Or are you just like, no, nah, I just want to do something without you. No offense.
2: Oh, no, there's a there's a mutual respect, uh, you know, brotherly and musically that we have. And it's understood that if he does a project, it's his project. And if I do a project, it's my project. And this was such an intimate journey for me. And it was so vulnerable. Uh, you know, the, the record's full of vulnerability. Um, and I, I needed to express this on my own. This was my journey. Yeah.
0: Was, would this record have ever happened if COVID didn't happen, if you didn't get all that downtime? Would, would it? Was it something you always wanted to do, or was it just an opportunity?
2: Well, it was definitely a, a series of events in my life. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's really just, it's based on a universal theme of heartbreak and love and love lost. And, you know, I needed to express that. I just needed to express that in my way. Um, but the pandemic definitely... Gave everyone a chance, not only me, but gave everyone a chance to kind of reevaluate life. And um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't very good for for anyone in the entertainment field, especially musicians. I mean, I sat around for two years, and um, what was I going to do? I, I write a record, be productive, and uh, get out what I needed to get out. And i I'm thankful for it, definitely thankful
0: for it. There were two things people bought en masse during the pandemic, Pelotons and guitars. They sold yeah. more guitars during COVID than I think they've sold in the last decade. I don't know how many people are still playing them, but they sold a lot of them.
2: Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great that, um, that the guitar industry was kept alive by, unfortunately by a pandemic.
0: There's a lot but, of smoke um, on the water getting played right now everywhere. <laughs> yeah. There's,
2: yeah. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a yin and yang, isn't it?
0: Is that the first song you played on guitar? Do you remember what it uh, was?
2: You know, um, it was probably a Led Zeppelin song. It was probably trying to do um, Stairway to Heaven, you know? But there were so many cool songs, like I said, going back to that era and listening to AM, A&M radio and, um, you know, with so many great songs back then. It's so
0: funny that AM radio turned so many people onto these loves of music because it sounds like shit.
2: (laughs) I I know, I know. I think about what I was listening to on back then. I I used to sit there with a little, it was like a potato. You know, it was (laughs) like listening listening to music out of a potato. And I had another potato that I was recording off the potato to have my mixtapes when I was... (laughs) seven years old so it was it was it was awful I still have those tapes I was actually just going through my garage and I found that uh, that box of those cassettes and I still have those cassettes from when I first got my first cassette player when I was nine
0: you know what's really funny is that a lot of people got those cassette players with the little plastic microphones as kids yes and so many of us it was a precursor to what we ended up doing with our well, lives.
2: Look where look look where you're at.
0: I know, that's what I'm saying. Like I used to take mine and hide it in the house plants because I wanted to know what my parents were talking about when they kicked the kids out of the room and I always got caught because I would time, you know, you could get the cassettes that were like 45 <laughs> minutes or 30 <laughs> minutes and I'd try to go in and discreetly flip the cassette and my parents <laughs> would catch me bugging the room. Wow,
2: do you still have those?
0: You know what? I might I I definitely have all of, like, my mixtapes that I made, like, in the 80s, tape and stuff on the radio. And then, obviously, embarrassing for a radio DJ is that I've got all of my early audition tapes and demos and, like, my first shows, which are horrifying.
2: But priceless.
0: Oh, I, I don't know. If somebody offered me some money, I might sell them. There, there might be a price. <laughs> it is amazing, yeah. like, what happens to your voice, though. Is it like that with yours? Like, my voice is like 10 octaves deeper.
2: Oh, well, I'm, I'm nine years old, and he's, and I'm talking like, you know, like <laughs> and, and it's And it's, it's funny to hear, because it's so long ago. It was so long ago.
0: Um, I have to ask you this question because you are such an amazing songwriter. I ask it of all the songwriters on the show. This isn't a favorite song question. This has got nothing to do with genre or artist. But can you give me an example of a song that you covet? Like that you're like, oh, I wish I wrote that. An example of what you consider to be perfect songwriting.
2: I would say uh, pretty much everything that Burt Bacharach has written. Um, Jimmy Webb, um, Glenn Campbell doing Jimmy Webb. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of jazz. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of songs that, you know, people like Gershwin and Cole Porter and Irving Berlin that uh, going back to the, to the beginning of the last century. And, uh, there's so, there's so much that I just digest as far as how, you know, playing rock and roll is one thing, but I don't really listen to rock and roll, um, I listen to a lot of jazz and a lot of stuff that just kind of moves me. Um, Pat Metheny, um, uh, a lot of Paul Desmond, who uh, was uh, Dave Brubeck's uh, uh, sax player, Stan Getz, um, and a lot of songs that, you know, those guys didn't really write their own songs, but they they definitely covered a lot of songs that were important enough to them to cover. Um, you know, I listen to, I've just thinking about just listening to uh, Dusty Springfield do uh what are you doing for the rest of your life I mean listen to it. you're like oh my god I mean you know just just all those all those moments that, of, of of that spark things in my life um, there's a lot of songs I can't really name one there's so many of them
0: well it's hard to listen to what you do right like you're not gonna get in the car and listen to core.
2: No. Because you no.
0: gotta like get away from it. Like I don't get in the car and listen to the radio because I just I just pick it apart because right. I'm just like, what are you doing? Right, right. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. So you probably go home and put crickets on, like from a <laughs> you know, from like you wanna hear you wanna hear crickets. You don't want to hear radio and yeah, yeah it's the just, same thing.
0: Yeah, it's why my snoring dog is like the most soothing thing at night. I have a pug and they're like the biggest noisemakers, and it's just yeah. so because I'm so immersed in loud music all the time.
2: People don't realize that. Because before I got signed, I was working at a guitar shop. And I heard everyone come in and...
0: blah That
2: scene
0: from Wayne's World with the no stairway sign.
2: Yes. Yes. So I know that feeling.
0: Yeah. Um, I know you have to run, but I have to ask you this question because Dean and I talked sure. about it. And he told me to ask you about it. I talked to him in October and we were talking about Halloween because it's my favorite day of the year. And I asked him if he had any Halloween memories that he wanted to share of, like his childhood, like his favorite costume. He referenced the year that he wore the sombrero and you went as the biker because you were inspired by born losers. Was that true? He told me to ask you about it.
2: Yeah, that was a Billy Jack movie that came out. It was pretty racy at the time it actually had jane russell in it um it's great great uh great movie and now that i'm living in california I, I i i can see those where they filmed it some of the locations it was a pretty budget movie but it was it was pretty cool at the time but i was inspired by that by that movie i was young that's what he I, said
0: my, and it was all your idea
2: yeah my mom actually uh was pretty cool about stuff like that i don't know many kids that were Aiming uh, to be a biker for Halloween in fourth grade. (laughs) (laughs) So it was pretty cool. I actually have a picture of it.
0: See, for somebody that says you're trying to like clean out all of this stuff, like you seem to be like me where you store stuff because it's attached to memories.
2: It's attached to a It's very sentimental. Yeah. I save it. Yeah. I have a picture of that of that against the tree with my, my thumbs in my pockets in my front pockets. So I was looking cool. When it was this, like part part born loser and part Fonzie. I oh, think well,
0: who didn't want to be the Fonz? I mean, come hey. on. Come on. <laughs> when this interview comes out, will you please put that picture up on social media and tag me so people can see this amazing photo? Cause they've heard about it from both your brother and now you.
2: Okay. I have it. Yes. I have it. I have yes. it. I'll do that.
0: Um, are you planning on going out on the road and supporting this record? Are you going to be in the area anytime soon? What's going on? When are we going to see well, you again?
2: It's going to be hard. I wasn't really thinking about this live. It's going to be tough because there's so many people involved in this going from singers to, to strings and everything in between. And I've got singers that range from California to England. And four others in between and strings. And I mean, I'd love to get it together to do it. It'd be an amazing evening, but, um, or maybe just a one-off kind of thing. I was talking about that too. just doing a one-off thing. Um, I'm getting uh, back into base uh, in a couple of weeks and we're actually um, going to uh, New Zealand for, uh, for a tour.
0: Oh, bucket Uh, list destination for me.
2: It's beautiful there. And I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, One of my favorite places to be. I could move down there. I, actually. So, but I'm anxious to go down there. Really, really excited to go down there, I should say. And, uh, yeah, we've got that. We've got South America in April that we're going to do STP. And, um, other than that, just, um, kind of, uh, hanging out, playing guitars.
0: Are you working on STP stuff too?
2: Not right now at the moment. Um, but, uh, I've got a couple of other things to release. I actually covered with Lessons Learned. I covered a couple of uh, Gordon Lightfoot songs with uh, Pete Shoulder, uh, the guy who sang uh, Big Sky Woman and Put Aside Your Sorrows. Uh, he uh, sang on those. They came out beautifully, and uh, I play the bass and all the, the both guitars on there, and they came out really nice. They'll be released in a couple of weeks.
0: Well, if you're connecting through Boston, coming back from South America or New Zealand. Hit me up and we'll catch a game. Yes.
2: Well, I must say I was back there last summer and I had an amazing time in the Berkshires. Yeah. I always loved going there. I used to have a house out there. And uh, what a beautiful area. I really missed it. Have Left you the gone and my... seen
0: the pops out there in the summer?
2: Yes. I was there at Tanglewood.
0: Yeah, there you go. It ama-
2: it's It's What an amazing experience. I mean, it's like I actually took a video. It's like, 're you're, you're scanning around this property and then it goes to the people playing strings and you think it's the soundtrack that you added in but it actually is the actual st- beautiful experience yeah that's that, is amazing
0: that's that's good music living out there
2: like if it you're is, a pure lover
0: a, of music
2: yes I have to give a shout out to Johnny Iron who uh sang what'll I do he's he's a Berkshire person he's a Berkshire resident so
0: well, oh, if you end up back out here again, let us know. We'll catch a game. Yeah. We'll hit up all of the friends with the boxes and we'll go borrow there so we don't have to pay for them ourselves.
2: I love it. I'll tell them I'm with the girl with the purple hair.
0: Yeah. Oh, they'll be they'll be like, well, you're either arrested or they'll let you in. It could go either way.
2: <laughs> no, they'll let me in anywhere with that. <laughs> it was beautiful.
0: Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Have a great day.
2: Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it.
0: All right. We'll see you soon.
2: All right. stay warm.
0: Thanks. You yeah, we'll try and you too. <laughs> Be careful know. in all the storms out there. Seriously. Uh, we're
2: good. I'm good where I'm at. You are. Okay, warm. good. Wow. Yeah. Incredible.
0: I'll take the snow.
2: I know. Well, California's so fragile. You get a rainstorm and it's like everything blows up.
0: Yeah. I tell wow. all my friends down south too with the snakes and the alligators. I'll take the snow. No problem.
2: I know. I know. I'm taking I the know. snow.
0: Well, stay yeah. safe. We'll see you soon.
2: Thank you, Carrie. Thank you so much. See ya. All right. Happy New Year.
0: Thanks, you too.
2: Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: There he is, the one and only Robert DeLeo. And you got to check out his new solo album, Lessons Learned. It's part of the corresponding playlist for this episode. Just go to the show notes of this episode. You're going to find a lot of links there, including the link to this episode's corresponding playlist. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast And not only is it filled with all of my guest music, but it's also filled with the songs that we referenced in the interview. You're also gonna find all of Robert's links and all of Stone Temple Pilots links, and you're gonna find my links there as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like and follow and share the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday, you get the sit rep. It only takes about five minutes, and I give you all of the day's music headlines industry info and entertainment updates plus you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode join me live every tuesday night at 8 30 eastern on my official facebook page for my video show cocktails in the war room and you can check out the mistress carrie radio show get the details on all that and more at mistress the mistress carrie podcast a proud member of the pantheon podcast network